Lead Time is a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective, hosted by Tim Allman and Jack Kalliberg. Lead Time taps into biblical wisdom for practical solutions to today's burning issues. Each podcast confronts real-time struggles facing the local church in a post-Christian culture. Step into the action with the ULC at uniteleadership.org. This is Lead Time. Welcome to Lead Time. Tim Allman here with Jack Kalberg. Hey, hey. Uh, today we are talking about the circuit, the role of the circuit. Jack, you know my not, doctorate not was in. Not electrical circuits. We're talking yeah, about no. in our synodical context. There we go. Uh, Thank is, you for clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is made up of congregations who organize themselves mostly geographically. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a couple of our <clears throat> districts that are non-geographic um, and uh, but the other 33 are all geographic districts with respective circuits. The amount of circuits per uh, district may depend on, well, it depends on the size and the, of the individual congregations making up voting electorate yep. um, delegates, right? So and one to two to three states, depending on kind of how it was set up initially. Some exactly. are big, some are a little bit smaller, right? Right. And there needs to be yep. a certain number of members uh, for a voting circuit. And yeah. I, I can't even remember off the top of my head how many members. If you're a district president, you obviously know what make up a, a voting circuit. So for us mm-hmm. in the East Valley of Phoenix, we have kind of a super circuit, about 12 congregations here in the East Valley that connect, um, but only eight of us are in the voting circuit, which is like Circuit 29 of the Pacific Southwest District. And then the other five congregations or so that come and hang out with us are a part of the Tucson circuit for voting rights so that they have the right uh, numbers. We're not here to talk about voting and and numbers. Mm -hmm. We're here to talk about how circuit congregations start to work together more consistently. And and let's kick it off like this, Jack. You had a couple questions that allows us to think a little bit bigger picture for how a circuit could start to reimagine its future. Right. And you've thought a ton about this, but I'm going to kind of throw these two questions out here. So question one is, what would a what would an ideal perfect circuit look like in terms of interaction and what they do and what they do for each other? And then what would an ideal circuit visitor, a circuit leader look like in terms of his role and how he's equipped and the skills that he has and what he's doing on a kind of a week to week basis? So I'm going to kind of throw those two questions out there. Maybe we start first and foremost, like, you know, if we had, and, and we're leaning into this topic, but if, if we had the the power to reshape all of the circuits and, they, and, and it looked different tomorrow, how would a circuit look different? So why don't you start talking about that, Tim? Yeah. How, how I think, should a circuit look different? Yep. I think one of two, two options, because um, I think... Human beings love choices, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to mandate things, but we could kind of create a framework, two different types of frameworks. One would be that there were seven congregations, eight congregations, all uniquely named and branded mm-hmm. uh, with their own kind of value sets and mission statements and objectives, uh, their unique kind of cultures and demographics that they serve. So Christ Greenfield is different than Gethsemane. Um mm-hmm. But then at the very same time, 
they start to, in concert with what has already been set up in our structure, the circuit form and convocations, start to have some wider goals that they're trying to hit in terms of leaders raised up, uh, maybe new ministry started, uh, and and systems that they create for maybe leadership development that spans all of all of the churches. Um, mm-hmm. That would be unbelievable. And then out of that, the last thing could be that they have some sh- sort of a shared brand for engaging the wider community with uh, whatever the the churches of kind of their their wider mission. And there's an external facing reality to that. So one story we heard recently in the Southeastern District is there's something called C10, literally means circuit, the circuit number 10, but yeah. C10, C-10 is a cooler brand. <laughs> and so they uh, are a whole host of congregations that have come together uh, to say, here are our respective objectives and even start to market out C10 rather than just, you know, St. Peter's or St. Paul's Lutheran within that respective circuit. So that's one, that's one model. And I think that's very, very doable. That's very, very doable. Yeah. In in that model, Tim, and I'm going to break it apart again. So we're going to use these kind of the three things that I like to lean in of culture, structure, system. Mm -hmm. And let's just say we've got this collaborative uh, circuit then. So what is the circuit doing? As a as a as a entity that's shaping culture, structure, and system for the local congregations, what, how how might that be impacted? Yeah, so um, the system of leadership development. You could mm-hmm. there's a whole host of ways that you could move into very practical and deeply theological leadership development for your upward draft of leaders. So you may I don't be able think, to share systems. Yes, right? a shared yeah. system for leadership development. Even, and I would make the case all the way up to ordination at the local level. Um, There are other, and we've been teasing this out, um, and I think for some folks it's hard to kind of get their mind wrapped around in terms of uh, the the system and or structure uh, of HR, communications, Mm -hmm. that there's a shared cost. Back office. Back office, right? right? That's really easy. To think yeah. about, and man, think about the average size congregation <clears throat> in the LCMS in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod being worshiping maybe 60, 70 people. If there was a shared back office, not just for HR, but for communications, yeah, uh, for video, uh, for social media, a lot of that, man, they could start, if you will, out kicking their coverage or, or you know, playing in another at another level, even though mm-hmm. they're a, a smaller congregation. I think that's a huge win. Thoughts on that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, well, I'm going to give Christ Greenfield as a context. We have uh, roughly right now $6 million budget uh, between church and school. So we've had to build up an accounting department and an HR department. And uh, let's say we were partnering with another church in the circuit and they had a $100,000 budget. Well, that's not really like a tremendous amount of extra effort it would take for Christ Greenfield to take that on. We could take that on and it would be kind of a minimal impact to our scale. It'd be huge for them. That's a lot of work. So something that could be, you know, a modest increase in effort for one church could, might be a huge barrier to overcome for a smaller church. Um, and so why not just do that? Why not kind of come to an agreement where you could share resources and maybe the smaller churches is, is agreeing to, you know, just give something, some sort of a modest 
you know, a modest fee, or I wouldn't even call it a fee, but just a contribution for the fact that they're helping to to cover this back office expense, right? So it yeah. may you may find that that's way more efficient than having to train your own accounting department. Uh, because a lot of these things, there there absolutely is an economies of scale, right? You if you've got you got to raise up a treasurer, you know, or somebody that's functioning that way, you know, it they they may be, you know, creating a whole system of internal controls and all that kind of stuff can be just as cumbersome for the small entity as it is for the big one. Why not take advantage of what the big one has done and has tested because it's doing thousands of transactions, right? Uh, and just kind of use the best practices that they put into place. Um, it seems like a duh. And I'm right. going to tell you the <laughs> uh, the barrier the barrier to this yeah. is the um, insecurity and competitive nature of a lot Autonomy. of our pastors. Yeah, and we love yeah, and I think this is more. What happens our if American. we lose our autonomy? I think that's kind of the fear, <clears throat> maybe of a local congregation, right? Yeah, are they going to do it like we would do it? And the reality is, you're not. A lot of the stuff we're talking about right now, if you're a smaller church, you're not doing it. Right. And or not doing it. I, I'm well. sorry, to, not doing it well. I'm sorry to get like super pragmatic, <clears throat> but people are by nature consumers, and. And you engage them first as a consumer, and then you move them to a contributor, right, Jack? And in in the exactly. consumer marketplace, and I, I'm not a big, I, you know, our church is kind of larger, I guess, but like I think the future is a lot of smaller expressions of, of word and sacrament. Um, but in the consumer market today, smaller churches are, are having a very, very hard time letting the community know they're there. They're wet. We were just working with a congregation recently and have... Like when they look for you, a smaller church leader or even medium sized church leader, where are they going first? Your mm-hmm. what's your front door, Jack? Uh, your website is the front your door website. of the church. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and, and possibly reviews that people would have uh, read about you on Google and Facebook. That's your front door. So exactly. Have you cultivated and do you know how to do that as a small church? Right. Or can you lean on the systems Again, there's that word. Can you lean on the systems that another church has already kind of figured out? They've already uh, paid the dumb tax <laughs> on some things. <laughs> Not to say, right. for example, that Christ Greenfield has everything figured out, but we hold Absolutely. the things that we learn very loosely, and we want to be able to give that away to people. So, uh, and that's really kind of the genesis of the culture of what we're doing with ULC. Everybody here that's ULC is a practitioner. And we, we pay we pay the dumb tax because we're build measuring and learning all the time, right? <clears throat> yeah, and it's just it's just fun like working with yeah. other people with diverse perspectives, diverse context, diverse size of ministry. Like it's just it's just fun. What are your values? What is the the beauty of the smaller expression of word and sacrament? Like that value needs to shape those of us who are in larger contexts, like knowing people, deeply loving and caring for, for people, um, doing shepherding work, caring for the homebound, the sick, the suffering, the dying. What a lot right. of times the personal pastoral connection that happens in the in the smaller congregation, like that influences me as a larger church pastor to know I got to be with my people. If I'm yeah. not, if I'm not loving and caring for them, like, so the, that's just one example of, of the ways we love and shape one another at the circuit level. There's no better well, than well, it's just different. Let me give, give an example. So, uh, 
earlier this week, yesterday actually, we had an opportunity to coach with uh, another church, and they're very different than we are in terms of the demographics that they're reaching. Their city looks very different. And so one of the fears, I think the autonomy fears, is, hey, you know, we've got our own DNA, we've got our own values. And what we're saying is collaboration does not require you to sacrifice those things that make you a special church and help you reach the local community. Really what it does, if it's done well, it, it helps you to be the best version of what God has intended you to be. And so, for instance, that church, they have to be amazing for them to be the best church possible, they have to be amazing at reaching 50-year-olds, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Other churches have to be amazing at hitting 30-year-olds with kids. That's right. And that's going to look different, and they're going to embrace different values and prioritize different things. But how do you think through that? You know, does your accounting system change because you're hitting a different demographic? Do you have a different church engagement uh, uh, model this is one of the things, Tim, you and I, we like to share the church engagement model. Well, no, it's the the jobs are the same, but how you express them may be very different depending on the audience you're going after. But have you thought through that with intentionality and do you have the right resources? And that's where collaboration can come in, right? Gosh, yes. It's just so much better. So I, you, you ask, let, let's reimagine the circuit. Um, mm-hmm. And I gave you one model. It's kind of a yeah. maybe a shared umbrella brand yeah. with main, maintaining the unique uh, names and cultures of our unique congregation. So um, that's one. If if you were really starting from scratch and you had you had national and then district leadership who said we really want to own, for instance, Phoenix. And we want mm-hmm. there to be one way that the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod expresses itself um, in unique contexts, uh, but sharing kind of these core DNA tenants. Uh, so I think if you could redo it right now, if you had high trust, high accountability, um, strong, <laughs> humble leadership, I think the multi-site approach for a circuit yeah. could be the best way to, so there's one, there's one brand, all seven or eight churches here in the East Valley have one respective brand. We, unfortunately, um, in the marketplace, the consumer marketplace of churches, especially in, in Phoenix and maybe Dallas and places where it's not as, you know, um, far secular post-Christian, there still is this kind of mega church movement. Um, We unfortunately are the brand of the Lutheran church, Missouri synod gets kind of muffled um, in, in the very, very strategic way that a lot of our non-denominational brothers and sisters are, are coming together. One example is, is the redemption network of churches here in the Valley. Their goal is, I don't know, they want dozens, and I can't remember the amount of churches, but dozens of churches in Arizona. They're basically a denomination. they're at 11 right now, statewide. They're at 11. So yeah, you might and- look at them and say, okay, well, <clears throat> they're, they're non-denominational, but they've set uh, core tenants, core theological tenants that all of the, all the congregations agree to, and they share a brand, they share central operations, they share a media department, they share a back office. Uh, right. But, uh, the expression locally can vary wildly from wealthy, you know, uh, suburban uh, mega site to inner city, smaller, uh, poor income, maybe more uh, mostly minority uh, site 
to, hey, I, I've, I've seen them up in Flagstaff. They're, oper- you know, operating out of an old restaurant. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. there's no limitation on size. There can even be diversity even within a shared brand and a shared uh, values uh, and shared structure. So in, in this case, they've got everything in common. They've got culture, they've got structure, and they've got systems all in common, right? Uh, a little bit more rigid than um, than the model that you said is the first model. But here's the beauty of it. If I'm living, let's say I had a wonderful experience because of the healthy culture, structure, and systems that were set up in one church, and then I moved to Flagstaff, Oh, I know that church. I I can expect the same kind of, uh, you know, spiritual services, the same kind of worship experience, the same kind of discipleship experience there as I got, you know, down in Phoenix or in Gilbert. So you now you have this uh, this brand equity that you've created rather than having to divide your brand across, you know, 12 different brands that a person has to choose from. Are you are your brands competing with each other or are they complementing each other? Isn't that an interesting so thought? It is. And I hear um, some folks right now saying, but isn't isn't the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod our umbrella brand for all of our churches that kind of connect all of our churches? What would you say to that, Jack? <clears throat> it might be a brand for somebody who is, you know, three, three to six generations Lutheran. Uh, and, you know, Tim, you and I have walked through this with uh, the rebranding of Christ Greenfield. Um, our, the legal name for Christ Greenfield remains Christ Greenfield Lutheran Church, um, but the public-facing name now is Christ Greenfield. And why did we make that decision? Um, because unfortunately, um, what the word Lutheran means to an LCA, LCMS member means something really, really different than some of the target audiences that we're going after, the people that might be unchurched, or came from a different theological background, but need exactly what we're prepared to preach to them, right? Um, so we're trying, we're trying to be outward facing. We're trying to respect and honor because we actually value our Lutheran heritage and our theological orthodoxy. But at the same time, we don't want that to be a barrier for people to bring them in into the local uh, into the local church and experience the gospel as we as as we're sharing it. So uh, this is the unfortunate reality. We know this. The LCMS is not the biggest um, uh, Lutheran denomination Lutheran. in America. The biggest is the ELCA. And, uh, you know, we're not here to trash on them, but they've got a very, very, very different view, a very different brand than what we have. And would a common person seeing the word LCMS on, on, the, on a, on a uh, street sign, would they think that, what does that even mean, right? Versus ELCA. So is, is, is that actually portraying the brand? Now I would say this, if, if it was an amazing brand, if that was the brand that everybody loved, I'd be down for a conversation like that. Maybe that is the brand that we would all want to be, but that would require intentionality at a national level to say, we want the brand of LCMS to be you know, one of the best church brands that you could possibly imagine, that would require a very different mindset, I think, than, than what we've embodied so far, not to throw anybody under the bus. But, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's considered to be one of the, the most attractive brands out there right now. So, uh, yeah. you know, I think it's kind of a both, a both and approach. There's nothing that stops a local congregation or a circuit 
to say we want to use LCMS as their branding if they think that that's what's going to attract people and, and start them to have, you know, relationships where you can share the gospel with them. If you think that'll do it, then do it. Give it a try. I'd love to hear your experiments and see how well that that panned out. <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, there was there was a day that LCMS yeah. worked, you know, yeah. that if you put if you put LCMS where that, totally. that LCMS cross would have been the thing that you wanted out there, right? Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm not writing it off. I'm, I, I think it's a beautiful vision, Tim, actually, you know? Yeah, it is. Uh, if, if reimagined for a post-Christian secular day and age, I think the LCMS mm-hmm. brand works in Midwest, mostly Christian America. Um, yeah. And it worked in our past story mm-hmm. because it was a brand of innovation and care and cross-cultural love and, and new starts and, and all of that. When we were starting, you know, one church every two days back in the late 40s into the early 50s, we were we yep. were rolling in those days. Leadership development yep. through our respective universities and Concordia's seminaries. It was we were really, really kicking butt, you know, but right. that that unfortunately is not where we're at right now. And and we want people to get to know who Jesus is and fall in yep. love with the gospel. And then we'll be like, all right, here's here's where a lot, here's our story. <laughs> here's that mm-hmm. Luther guy. And, and here's yeah. why we believe in the law gospel distinctives and our tension-filled <clears throat> mm-hmm. theology, all of that. Um, we need, and so we need to have a little bit more of an open hand. This is one of the cases Absolutely. we're making right now to say at the district and even the urban suburban area, a circuit level, you guys need to have a little bit more freedom because our our uh, doctrine um, gives a lot of responsibility to the local church, but you still need one another. We still right. are better when we walk together, especially right. in our geographic circuit circuit location. So it's a and, both and, and, and we're not we're we're not yeah. here one last thing. We're not here lobbying to say get rid of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod as a as a respective brand or organizing no. principle. That's not what we're saying at all. We're just saying there needs to be more freedom for circuits kind of establishing a a separate brand so, to engage their respective areas, Jack. And, and the type of collaboration that we're talking about, you know, we we don't want, you know, the the key is that this is a winsome voluntary collaboration. And um, so collaboration, yes. if it's not done voluntary, if it's not done because the local church feels that it's going to bless them to do that, then you, then you mm-hmm. don't do it. You keep that freedom in place um, because, you know, uh, there's, there's a flip side to every coin. It is possible that a collaboration could lead you down, down a path that you don't want to go. Uh, mm-hmm. And you may, you know, you know, you may find that you're adopting things that you don't want to adopt and only doing it for the sake of collaboration. We're not saying that. We're saying well, that all things being equal, a healthy, you know, we're all in the same doctrine here. We all have figured out in our minds what healthy collaboration looks like. We know that there are some systems that if we, you know, you do this experiment, we do this experiment, we come together to figure out which one makes sense. That's that's the type of collaboration that we're looking at. Um, well, yeah, collaboration is not going to work without the right leader and leadership team in place. Well, let's lean on that, Tim. Let's talk about what is a perfect, uh, what would a perfect circuit leader look like? What, what's your, what would be your vision on that? Well, right now the language is circuit visitor. I yep. think it should be circuit leader in mission. That that could be a, a change we would make. Uh, but this, I might, I might this, suggest circuit coach. A circuit coach could definitely yeah. be a, an opportunity. Um, but 
visit. Yeah. Visitor kind of sounds like, well, I'm going to stop in and, and honestly, have what coffee. most vi- have coffee, <laughs> it's a little bit more yeah. of a passive, it's a yeah. little bit more of a passive rather than uh, proactive, uh, a relationship. Yeah. So I would hope that the future for a circuit visitor or coach or whatever, they would be the healthiest and most balanced leader or one of the most balanced leaders in the room. And so to get to that point, you're going to need some qualitative and quantitative analysis. Qualitative, what do what do other people say about that leader? Is he mm-hmm. leading well in the local church? Does he collaborate well? And then the quantitative analysis could be using some sort of an assessment like the Harrison Behavioral Assessment, or um, which I'll just pause in the Harrison. We need pastors with the right combination of passive and aggressive traits or passive and dynamic traits. And right now, a lot of our circuit visitors, based on my research, are sometimes the most imbalanced passively. And so why do you think that is, Tim? What, What do you think is the genesis of that? Yeah, well, this is just observation, um, we, I've had some interviews with this, but but my observation is that the the unspoken truth, the shadow truth, is that a lot of pastors are insecure. They feel overwhelmed, and and they live by shame rather than the love of the gospel. And they'd rather not have someone kind of poke at them. And prod and and challenge them to dream new dreams, to reach new people with the gospel. And so uh, I think a lot of times most passive circuit visitor is chosen because he won't he won't challenge um, in in love. Um, Yeah. So and that's unfortunate. It is. It is. Like Christian. Unfortunately, uh, we have institutionalized Christian kindness as like the norm. We got to find the most kind guy here. And the synonym for kindness is, is many times passivity. passivity. Right. And so the Harrison would help you uh, find those who have the right level of aggressive kind of challenge orientation, the right level of frankness um, and the right level of, of follow through to, again, I think leaning on the the example of a coach to not tell you what to do, never tell you what to do, uh, but to shine and a to mirror back think. and to help the pastor prioritize the right next, yeah. right next step. And then if that circuit visitor had in mind and could keep the vision of X amount of new starts, X amount of leaders raised up. So the why, Jack, between the churches mm-hmm. is very, very uh, closely connected. Man, that's a that's a powerful circuit visitor. Yeah. Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be cool if if there was so much collaboration and so much uh, relational health between circuit churches that they could even share the same mission statement? That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That I I think it's not a pipe dream. Yeah. I think we could yeah. find shared language uh, that would lead us to uniquely execute that. So we're walking through at Christ Greenfield. We got 20 and 20 visions. So 20 campuses in 20 years, it's going to be smaller, centrally supported, all of that. And we walk through with Matt Peoples. Shout out to Matt Peoples. If you want to engage with a guy who's doing a lot in the micro church and micro site and then has good uh, organizational skills to ha- help teams like ours put together the negotiables and non-negotiables uh, for a multi-site, or maybe you could even say a circuit approach. Talk to talk to our listeners about what we said, or the four kind, the the DNA that must move between congregations. Jack, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. So the first was 
uh, word in sacrament worship. So somehow we should seems like we should be able to agree on that, right? Yes, <laughs> and, and yeah. I, so right there, right off the bat. I don't think that any circuit would disagree that every church should have word and sacrament worship, right? So, Useful. Uh, okay. You know, what else? The gospel and administer the sacraments properly. Amen. And bada boom. So that's, that's the first non-negotiable. The second was, and if you were to think about this in the context of a circuit, there might be a challenge there, but a shared mission statement and values, right? So we've put a lot of effort into cultivating a mission statement that says, this is why Christ Greenfield exists. And then we have six, core values that we put together. Um, if you didn't, so will, if you didn't have, if you didn't have a mission and a value set, cause I honestly, I think a lot of, a lot of churches, Jack need to dust the cobwebs off of their mission. Absolutely. And then I don't think many of them have shared values. So this so could let, be something let, they do between churches. Go ahead. Let's pause on that because I'm thinking in terms of a circuit and a circuit visitor, I don't think that it's, it's right for a circuit to impose a mission statement on a church per se. But what I would say is that you better have one that you're in love with. That's what I would kind of say if you were a circuit visitor, a circuit counts, uh, coach, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to coach a pastor, do you have a mission statement and values that you're absolutely in love with and motivates the people of your church? I'm not saying it has to be mine. I'm not saying it has to be the one that we all share here. But do you have one that just absolutely lights you up? And that would be an area of challenge. Not that you have to just be a clone of what we're doing, but that you have one. And so that's an area of healthy accountability right there, right? So word and sacraments and mission and values are mm-hmm. shared. Uh, what's the third non-negotiable? Leadership development uh, strat- uh, system in our particular case. So an intentional leadership development strategy that we have uh, in the Christ Greenfield context we say, you know, there's a pathway to serve, lead, coach, direct, and, you know, even go into an executive leadership team that leads the whole church. So a defined leadership pathway and develop intentional development along that pathway. Is so that something training. that could be shared across a circuit? Could you uh, learn how to develop leaders in a very similar way and develop similar language. Now, here's the beauty of it. If you do do that, now you've got shared resources, right? Now you've got uh, content that can be shared and an even more robust system because you've got multiple entities that are speaking into how it works well and doesn't work well, right? Yeah. I think the shadow side right now, and I'm sorry to be a, a agitator on this point, uh, leader or or theologian uh, president, it's not about, we can get the content, we can get it. Your role right now as a higher level leader, whether you're a district president or one of our professors or presidents, your role is to help the local church curate it well, because we can get it. Do you want to be at the table to help curate good content uh, for our circuits and for our churches trying to multiply disciples? I pray the answer is is yes. And so those are our three non-negotiables. And then the fourth one, one kind of leans in. I know the fourth mm-hmm. one kind of leans into freedom, though. Like these are three very high <clears throat> level kind of boundaries, word and sacrament, mission values, leadership development. They're the wide boundaries all for the sake of the fourth one. What is that, Jack? Community, right? Community, bringing people into a community expression. So interrelationships. A unique. In, yeah, right? u- unique. Uh, so we even said, hey, if it's a micro church, that could be community in a bar. 
right. or it could be a community in a, a workplace. It could be an office. Um, it could be in the local uh, fitness center, right? So it, whatever brings people together in community, that community, community building, you know, and right. intentional development of community is a non-negotiable for us. Talk about yeah, that. Absolutely. Tim. No, yeah. Yeah. well, there's freedom there. Community is our context. Yep. You will actually understand your demographic. Who's your mm-hmm. Who's your target family that your church is well positioned to reach? Do you have that kind of prime customer target kind of mapped out for your congregation? That gives so much freedom, permission for the respective leader. That's where the unique kind of <laughs> brand under the wider brand would come into come into place. Uh, for instance, uh, Christ Greenfield East Mesa, they are unique, not only in how they worship, uh, where they worship, but the types of folks that they're starting to engage. There, there is some uniqueness to, or some similarity to Gilbert, but they're mm-hmm. still, they, they realize they've got some ample freedom to uniquely yep. engage their respective cadence and Eastmark community here in the East Valley. So there's some examples, friends, of how circuits can work together. Um, I pray that more district presidents, this is this is a big time invitation to you to start to reimagine the role of the circuit. We don't need to, this is a shout out to Chuck Mueller, spoke with him a little bit ago. We don't need to reinvent really any of the structure within the LCMS uh, handbook per se. We just need right. to live into it. Mm-hmm. Forum, circuit forum, circuit convocations, and maybe then starting to give more respective training to discover, develop, and deploy uh, the right type of circuit visitor, maybe as a coach, leader, leader in mission. So we've given you a number of ideas. If the Unite Leadership Collective can help you in any way, just go to uniteleadership.org. Uh, sharing is caring. All of your likes, your subscriptions, your downloads, all of that does a, a wonderful work in getting the word out. We are lead time and we're having, yes, we are leaders within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and we are having consistent, hopefully collegial, kind, hospitable, and yet challenging conversations about the future of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It's a good day. Go and make it a great day. We'll see you next time on Lead Time. Thanks, Jack. Good work. Peace. You've been listening to Lead Time, a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective. The ULC consults and brings together cohorts of congregations to build the culture, systems, and structures of intentional discipleship multiplication. To go deeper with us, create a free login on uniteleadership.org for access to exclusive materials and resources. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for next week's episode.